Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on May the 9th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, defending the ballot box. Caffeine Rage. On today's episode, we will of course We will of course discuss some games that we've played. The Nintendo Switch sales slow, but it still surpasses 125 million. Nintendo on Warpath files DMCA on emulation tools. Last of Us, Wii Sports, Computer Space, and Barbie join the World Video Game Hall of Fame. PC gamers are getting really, really fed up with one shitty port after another. And if time allows, we will have a discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you tonight? As if we haven't been talking for 40... 45 minutes, something like that? Uh, Henri. Right. That's pretty... Pretty consistent for you. (laughs) Accurate and consistent. You're nothing if not a steadfast... Uh... Ball of contrarianism. And I'm here for it, and I love you. Bad touch, bad touch. (laughs) One day. One day. Um, yeah. We uh, have gotten had a decent chat without it being Franken content. Got a little bit of Franken content. Yeah, I gotta build that back up, right? Yep. Anything you got on your mind, or do you want to just dive oh, in? Let's just dive in because it's been kind of a slow weekend of me working on another project and trying to plug away at Game Club. And oh boy, right? Yeah, definitely not gonna get through it, but definitely am far enough that I can talk about it. Yeah. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, I can go first, and if you want to jump in on uh, your first one afterwards. Okay. So, uh, both of my games are kind of... uh, Well, first of all, they're connected through uh, our benefactor, his Cubedus. One I sent to him, and I actually got a copy for myself for Christmas, and the other is one that he sent to me for Christmas, and I've played on and off, and I've just haven't really ever talked about it. So, okay. so the first one is Shapes or Shapes Z or or, or maybe it's Shapez. It's Shapez. So, with satisfactory running up to another big update, I'm very hesitant to spend a lot of time with it because, well, last update it kind of broke some of my stuff. It, when they changed some recipes, and most of my time was fixing that, <laughs> because, right? Yeah. Basically, they added, like, a requirement in the middle stage of building ammunition, and I didn't have that, so it ended up taking me a couple hours to set that back up, because, yeah, I mean, it's a factory game, right? So, I have a second factory game I play, and it's Shapes, or Shapez. And it's a more chillax one, but at the same time, things get crazy. So the idea of it is it's a 2D top-down factory game where you're digging up shapes, painting, cutting them up, and putting them into the central hub to unlock the next tier. 
things start to get a little crazy, though, whenever added complexity goes in, because, of course, it does, right? So, first of all, it's just, you know, digging them up and putting them in. Um, and the thing is that you also want to kind of leave your previous tiers up and running, because that also factors into your upgrade system. So, the shapes, once you complete the tier, start building up for upgrades that you can buy later on, which increases, like, your belt speeds or the amount of, uh, uh that you can, uh, bond, uh, per tick, essentially. So, it becomes start, sort of this ever-expanding game of, how do I patch this new thing into this, uh, system without fucking up everything else, right? Right. And I'm so in on it. <laughs> right? Because that's nice. kind of how that's how I play Satisfactory, honestly. There, there's uh, if you go into the Satisfactory uh, subreddit, you see people that sits there with like notes, books, factoring in the perfect you know uh, factories and how to build everything. Me, my factory is this mess of spaghetti that's like five or six different iterations of. Oh, this isn't working quite right, right. I'll patch this to make it work a little bit better or you know, fix this one issue. And I'm sure it would horrify people, but Shapes kind of like feeds into that mindset of uh, you, it kind of encourages you to leave at least some of the old stuff up and running to be able to upgrade uh, stuff later on. So, yeah, right. Yeah. That's how uh, I play Factoria, though. Mm-hmm. And, and, satisfactory and you know every other one of these factory games i've played that's the way i play it yeah ever building ever increasing ever working stuff into the mix yeah like my fix to get gunpowder again uh, after they changed it was basically a uh uh breaking stuff off of my main uh, feed for coal for the uh power plants to make the prerequisite I need for at, at the oil platform and just ship it out through a truck, <laughs> right? Shapes is kind of that same mentality of uh, the map is, as far as I can tell, essentially endless. So you can build something off in the far reaches and the further out you go, the more weird things get. So like around the hub, it's like squares, circles, uh, and pigments that's... Uh, 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 it's uh, using RGB, so you could also mix and match them. Uh, so if you need uh, orange, you uh, you know, get a uh, green and a red together to make orange, or yellow would be blue and green, that sort of thing, and white would be all three and that that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but the further out you go, it starts making weirder, weirder shapes which you could uh, kind of cut up and stack together to refactor into things that you may need. <laughs> or you might find a, uh, like a, essentially a resource patch. The resource patches are endless as far I can, as I can tell. But you might be like, okay, well, this oddball shape is like, if I cut it in half and mirror it, or yeah, rotate it around, it would actually work. So there's this kind of uh, resource gathering uh, set-ish thing going on as well of, 
okay, well, I can make this work, and then I can patch it in over here. And I have some long-ass conveyors <laughs> carrying shit, uh, shit back to base. Oh, that, that carries so many random things. Uh, there is some sort of programming that I haven't unlocked yet that's like three or four more levels I just haven't finished off yet. Uh, and I'm not sure how that really factors into things just yet. So there is that, and there is a mod community about this. The, my big gripe with shapes is that if you uh, install mod, there's no toggle. Meaning that in order to go back to a, like, let's say I wanted to do the early game with this different mod set, in, uh, or, or this one mod to try it out. I'm stuck with it unless I go and physically delete the mod folder, which is annoying. It's not a deal killer, but it's an annoyance because I would love to just be able to toggle it off and uh, be done with it. And they say that they're, uh, they had promised that they're going to have some sort of toggle, but they're actively working on shapes too, which uh, has a 3D element going into it as well. So, mm. yeah, maybe, uh, maybe they are working on it for shapes too. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's been fun, and definitely if you you know if you want a more relaxed factory uh, building experience, it's definitely worthwhile. I will say if you want something that I don't want to say is uh, more challenging because you know there's a challenge about you know building uh, efficiently or you know doing your thing. But there's no, like, resource that you have to uh, mine up to be able to build stuff. So you can be as inefficient as you want and be done with it. There is a puzzle mode uh, DLC that is pretty cheap. That is uh, more focused on uh, being efficient and uh, problem solving. But also teaches you concepts to uh, employ in the main game. Like, how doing... uh, uh, balancing uh, works and how to wrap things around. Yeah. So it's essentially a tutorial, but you know, uh, or I should say in an advanced tutorial because it does teach you a fair amount. So yeah. Uh, really recommend it, especially at its uh, sale price. I mean, it goes on sale for like five bucks and it's playable on Steam Deck if you're interested in that sort of thing. Neat. Um, well, you ending with mods was, I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but a good segue to my first thing for tonight, which is mods. Um, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm exclusively guilty of this. I'm definitely more guilty of this than you are to talk about mods as part of a game, because so often mods really can completely change the way a game feels or, you know, even make it into a completely different game. Um, I mean, my kind of rule on mods is the base game has to be fun and not feel like it's missing something that the mods have to fill in. That's kind of my beef with Skyrim versus RimWorld. Right. But there are so many examples, you know. I mean, Battletech has been my biggest go-to, but, you know, there are other games. Kerbal Space Program. Uh, Factorio Mm -hmm. has got a ton of mods. Although I've never talked about a Factorio mod. I have used several you know, and, and so on and so forth. Well, my two my two playing games, uh, which are, you know, cousins, um, Ace Combat 7 and Project Wingman, um, I have both 
been I've been playing both of them pretty heavily with some mods that do a lot of the same stuff. Um, I'm going to talk about them individually, but um, there's some of the same kinds of mods to fix similar problems because Project Wingman spiritually is an ace combat game. Um, But I'll I'll start with Ace Combat 7 because it got the biggest sort of mod overhaul. So Ace Combat 7 has got weapon or has got aircraft upgrades and you unlock a bunch of them from the campaign and there are also multiplayer only upgrades that you unlock initially by playing multiplayer but then you can actually spend the single player currency uh like it's just credits i think you can spend your single player credits on the multiplayer stuff and unlock it in its entirety and the multiplayer stuff is better than the single player stuff barring a few campaign mode only plane mods or plane upgrades um which i always have found very frustrating one of my biggest issues with ace combat is that it is an arcade game, so I understand like this is not lost on me, but the fact that you have to shoot enemy planes so goddamn much to blow them out of the sky. When you play the game on the harder difficulty modes, uh, hard, ace, and... More like flying sponges? Yeah, the, the enemies are like flying sponges. And the multiplayer upgrades... Uh, I was watching some um, YouTube videos with people who had used mods to unlock the multiplayer upgrades for single player... You could down most aircraft if they weren't, like, the boss enemies or whatever with one missile, which I like. Because when you're playing in, in hard mode and in ace mode, you get shot down with one missile. Um, so that's the first mod that I, that I added, was to unlock all of the multiplayer upgrades and make them available in the single-player game. And I was testing in normal mode, and in normal mode, it's cr- <laughs> you get so overpowered, but, like, in a really fun way. Yeah, I mean, you're already, because the you're, you know, you as a player are so much better than the AI, you're already incredibly overpowered compared to them. Um, but it's just funny to lock on to, you know, eight planes and fire missiles that home closer to, like, how real missiles will home instead of, like, limp, you know, noodles, like, flopping around in the air. So, like, you're shooting enemies down, like, as the objective pops up, and they're like, oh my god, retreat! Like, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the difficulty up, and the AI gets a little smarter and a little faster, and they probably cheat um, and oh, dodge stuff. Cheat. And, you know, dodge stuff. So then it, it feels a little more even, but I was like, well, what what else can we do now that I've unlocked, you know, went started going down the rabbit hole? And um, the next mod I applied was a rebalance mod to a lot of the physics of the game. Or maybe rebalance is the wrong way to say it, but like tweaking the, the aircraft physics, which makes the aircraft behave a little more realistically. Ace Combat is still extremely arcadey. You're not getting like flight sim levels of aerodynamics with this mod, but it adds sort of weight and inertia to your craft. Um... So whenever you make some of those really sharp high G turns or perform some, uh, you know, crazy aerobatic maneuvers, it really will kill your speed and your alcohol, alcohol, altitude. See where my brain's at, I guess. Kill your speed and your altitude. Um, The Cobra is one of the sort of, I guess you could say, most well-known aerial maneuvers that gets used in dogfighting. And what a Cobra is, is that with the development of supersonic jet aircraft and the development of the Delta wing design. Um, most of our audience probably knows what that is, but a Delta wing aircraft is think like the, 
Um, oh, what's a plane that most people would know? It, it's more like a flying wing as opposed to what you think of as like a traditional aircraft. Um, so you have this massive air brake if you can pitch your aircraft up fast enough. And so in a dogfight, if someone is chasing you, you can uh, pull what's called a cobra maneuver, sharply jerk your plane up, use all that wing surface as an air brake, and cause an enemy aircraft to overshoot. But this massively drains your airspeed. There's an initial climb in altitude as your momentum carries you up, but that loss of airspeed then causes a, a, a pretty sharp decline in your own altitude. But it does get you behind your opponent, giving you a chance at a critical shot that might save your life. And so now you can do things in Ace Combat, like perform a Cobra, or perform like an Immelman, or perform uh, like a Falling Leaf, or there's one that's for like a Russian guy that I can't even like pronounce the name of the maneuver. If, you've, if anyone has seen the newer Top Gun the, movie. The, uh, the Vodka? <laughs> yes, the vodka. If anyone has seen the newer Top Gun movie, the fight at the end of the game against the two S or game at the end of the movie against the <laughs> SU forty sevens, whenever uh Maverick gets behind one of them and it does like this crazy like spin and dodges a missile, like that's a real aerial maneuver. It's usually used in air shows, but I've seen people who know way more than me and are ex- actually experienced in flying aircraft say that it could be used in a dogfight. Like you can do stuff like that. Um, whereas before, you couldn't, because your aircraft had no inertia. And so you would just turn, and your aircraft would zoom off in that direction like there was no gravity affecting it. So stuff like that really changes up the way that the game feels and plays, and makes it a lot more fun, but in some ways more difficult. And it's much easier to crash. Um, but that, that makes it a lot more fun. Um, and then the final mod that I put in Ace Combat so far has been one that changes up the weapon loadouts. One of the ways that Ace Combat encourages you to use or forces you sometimes to use different aircraft is that you have fixed loadouts. Um, very, you know, you get missiles, the quote unquote standard missiles, um, machine guns, and then a special secondary weapon. So multi lock on missiles for air to air, or multi lock anti ground missiles, or bombs, or rockets, depending on the plane. And so if the mission is primarily an air-to-ground mission, you're probably going to want to pick one of the planes that will use, um, you know, a heavier air-to-ground ordnance. But that means that it's probably an attacker craft. So think like the A-10 Warthog or um, one of the ground attack versions of the F-18. Um, and so Ace Combat has almost no exclusively ground attack missions. So even a mission that's like, yeah, you're absolutely only going to be bombing targets on the ground will still throw fighters at you. And it can be really frustrating to try to fly a ground attack aircraft that's slow and not very maneuverable in order to carry enough anti-ground ordnance or air-to-ground ordnance to complete the objectives. That can be frustrating. So this mod doesn't unlock all weapons for all planes, but it does give you more loadout options, um, which... Is, is nice. Um, the F-35, which is the modern stealth aircraft, um, modern U.S. stealth aircraft that is intended to replace the F-18 as a multi-role carrier-based fighter, uh, has got a widely mixed loadout system uh, or uh, capability of air-to-air and air-to-ground missiles and bombs and, you know, other stuff. But in the base game, you get one air-to-air missile special weapon, 
one air to ground missile special weapon and like some shitty bomb like cluster bomb thing which sounds awesome but they're extremely weak in game and with the mod you can equip it with basically bombs uh, all of the different bomb types rockets the several different types of air to ground missiles that exist in the game the only thing it can't equip is anti-ship missiles and lasers ace combat has lasers and a rail gun Uh, but only only a couple of planes can use the rail gun so those are the mods that I've used so far, and they have drastically changed the gameplay, but for the better. And I mean, I've played through Ace Combat's campaign, Ace Combat 7's campaign, like three times already, and the DLC mission, uh, mission campaign, uh, twice, and then I added the mods and started playing it again. So, but it 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 basically. <laughs> makes it more like project wingman that's what i have done i have put mods on it that make it play like project wingman which project wingman already has this sort of your aircraft have inertia you've got a lot more loadout options in project wingman um the mods that i used in project wingman are though are the any weapon on any plane mod which you know gives you loadout customization to the max because there are a few planes in project wingman that have a fixed loadout which is really frustrating um, they're kind of special planes in the game, and they're really cool, but because they have a fixed loadout, there are only a couple of missions that they actually work out to be useful in. And they're fun, and I want to fly them in other missions. Um, and then there's also some... Because Project Wingman has got its main campaign, and then it has this sort of um, roguelite gameplay where you do a campaign over and over again. Or not a campaign, but you do... Um, sort of arcade-style battles over and over again, and you can increase... You can get upgrades for future runs, and ultimately, like, you're trying to beat it and conquer the entire map. Uh, and the farther you get, the better planes and more upgrades you get. So, it, it there are some weapons that exist only in that mode because of how fucking crazy they are in the campaign and overpowered. Like, you can get a nuke in that mode. <laughs> and that basically invalidates three or four campaign missions, because it's like, oh, let me just drop a nuke and kill all the targets. Done. Or that so. sounds like uh, me playing during the last Splatfest in uh, Splatoon. But, so yeah. That, and then there's some cut content from the game that this unlocks. Uh, that I'm using a mod that unlocks. Um, there's a couple of missions that got cut, and then several aircraft that were cut. Uh, which kind of sucks. I mean, I, they they cut the aircraft due to technical reasons. Um, like they don't, they really don't work well. So I, I I can see why those were cut. The missions I think were just cut for time and maybe campaign pacing. Um, they just kind of explained some stuff about the story a little bit better, but details of those missions were folded into other stories or other other campaign missions. So I think that those were just cut for pacing. But still. I I love Project Wingman. I wish it it get. I hope it gets a sequel. I don't know if it will or not. the The small dev team is working on a different aircraft based game that they have said is not a Project Wingman sequel. So the next thing, new thing that I'll be getting in my Ace Combat line of games is probably going to be the next Ace Combat game, which is I think supposed to come out. Next year, they've talked about it releasing next year or in 2025. So I'm guessing it's probably going to be 2025, maybe even later. So mods are awesome. They change your game and can extend the longevity of it and let you do fun, crazy things like drop nukes on <laughs> enemies in, in the story mode. And also, well, uh, you talk about mods adding new stuff to games. 
How about remasters and uh, making new versions? Go so on. My second game is The Oregon Trail, and no, not the one from the 1980s. <laughs> Do you say Oregon? Like O R G A N? Yeah. As or in the Oregon, state. Oregon, the state. Okay. Or Oregon. Okay. Because there is an Oregon I know, Trail. I know, it's, and it's a zombie apocalypse game. No, yeah. This is the Oregon Trail. And to be honest, nobody around here pronounces it like that. No, they don't, but I'm I'm emphasizing it on purpose just to make it clear in the audio track. Like, I can see the notes, but the listener might not have a chance to look at the so show notes. So this is essentially a remake of the original with a lot more added onto it. So if you really look back at it, the Oregon, and I'm going to stop saying it like that now, uh, trail is like one of the first roguelite experiences that at least I encountered. You know, back be- way back before it was even a genre, right? In the before times. Yeah. You know, uh, while there wasn't a progression system uh, per se, you know, random events happen and your choices down a, 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 a couple paths uh, determines uh, what you have to do and yeah, and the Oregon Trail kind of takes that uh, idea and expands upon it. So it has uh, the classic, you know, Oregon Trail, you know, uh, from St. Louis to, and I'm blanking on the city name in Oregon, uh, but uh, from uh, the full experience and with a few options of going different places along the way. And also, there's a secondary map screen now, uh, which is a lot more roguelite, where you still progress from point A to point B on uh, uh, the map, uh, with things happening in between. But your destination, or like your mini destinations, uh, allow you to map it out a little bit better for your overall strategy of surviving the trail. For example, seeing... Well, there's a lot more animals over there, and I have a gun with plenty of bullets. I could uh, make my way over there and get furs and meat to be able to ford the river that I know is coming later on. Or uh, there's a known calm path over here, and uh, my guys have gotten really beat up. And I could use that as kind of a way to just you know, get to t- uh, the next city to be able to rest up. And there, uh, it retains the essentially the ticking clock of if you spend too much time on the trail, you hit winter, and things go south pretty quickly, as they would, right? No, no, but, you're you're going west. <laughs> well, you're going south. You'd eventually hit west. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Carry on. Uh, but there's also uh, added uh, skill trees, or I shouldn't say trees, uh, skills that each member of your party can have. And you start out knowing none of your party, yeah, what they could do and uh, how they could improve. And by doing uh, events, like let's say you have uh, uh, one attempt to heal somebody that's uh, been injured, you might find out, oh, well, it turns out she sucks at this. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, 
that's good to know now, but right. But there's also good to know for the future. Yeah, but there's also things that you, you uh, events that will uh, increase skills would also, which also uh, gives you an idea of where their skills are. There's items that you can pick up, and it does a the uh, inventory Tetris, where your wagon is only so big, and depending on how much money you spent on your wagon at the beginning of the run, you'll have so much space to be able to fit things in. And uh, the caveat on this is that things don't stack well. So, like, for example, if you have two stacks of, like, bullets that you just can't combine them. You could sell them off and then, you know, rebuy them, but you're losing money on that. And that's a little bit of an annoyance. But, you know, it's... Right? Yeah. Uh, something else that they did is that they've also included historical figures and also more, like, random encounters. So, uh, some more historically based. Um, a good example of this is on my first run, I kept running into this one family that was uh, going west, essentially on the same trail I was. Uh, and the first time you meet them, you know, uh, the daughter is really sick, and you could give them, uh, give them some medicine or, you know, have somebody that, you know, has uh, healing skills uh, to take a look at her and try to, you know, help her along. Uh, they... Uh, if you are successful in that, they uh, catch up with you later and give you some stuff to repay your kindness. Then you can meet them again later on as just kind of like a little side thing. Well, it turns out this uh, little girl doesn't make it through the trail. She fucking dies. Is that like a no matter what you do? I don't know if it's no matter what you do, but you know, the fact that they went that historically accurate... And dark, because typically whenever you have games like this, you know children are kind of like off limits. You know, you know they miraculously survived no matter what. No, she's dead, and it kind of hammers home of just how perilous it was. Even you know, uh, if uh, people pull together and help one another, right? Yeah, and they also, uh, and it's not just the main trail is in this. There's well, not counting the DLC, which they gave away for free when it first came out. Uh, there's 15 playable journeys, which some of them are, are the gold, like the Gold Rush. Some of them are Native American uh, uh, hunts and uh, migrations. Uh, and it's really fascinating just how much they've expanded upon the formula. Uh, it's one of those games that if uh, you're teaching history, it definitely is a... Yeah, a great thing to have, especially you know, an updated version. Although you know, having the whole thing where you know an inventor's trying to invent essentially a uh, a wind-driven uh, <laughs> uh, uh, wagon to be able to carry people west is a little far-fetched. That was real. Uh, have you well, have you never no, seen no, no, that? The no, guy I'm who talking puts to, a I'm sail. Talking to, I'm talking about uh, this guy. Ha- uh, it has a flying machine in game in oh, the 1860s. Okay. okay, never mind. No, there was a guy, I remember seeing this on the History Channel back when they used to make things that weren't reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. There was this guy who put like a, a, a sail from like a sailboat on a wagon 
to like prototype like a wind powered uh ground vehicle and there was a tornado and it sucked him up in a tornado and killed him and they were like well we're not doing that anymore <laughs> uh but yeah there's some more fantastical uh events that you could uh, run into as well along with uh, a little bit of supernatural but it feels mostly grounded in reality and uh, history and having it where you know you could have well uh native americans uh going west with you as gods uh having well f- for one women with uh, more than just you know they're there to cook is uh, Interesting take on it, right? Because, yeah, yeah I, on the trail, yeah, it doesn't matter wh- who you are, right? Yep, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive. Mm-hmm. Hunting, fishing, cooking. Yeah, which they did add fishing in this. Uh, the original game did not have fishing at all. So that's a secondary source of food, but it requires carrying a completely different set of stuff. And depending on you know, how much space you have, right? Yeah, that might not be feasible. Mm-hmm. It feels like it feels like a very faithful upgrade to a classic that uh, is one of the first games I really remember being used to teach. You know, yeah, because I played the Oregon Trail in mm-hmm. science, one of my science classes because they had you know that one of the the, one of the science twos. labs yeah on the fucking old apple twos because one of the science labs doubled also as the computer lab in my tiny ass school and so playing i remember playing the oregon trail in there yeah they actually have a filter that you can unlock that uh makes it monochrome uh green <laughs> that phosphorescent green yeah, yeah. and yes you could die of dysentery although it's not as much of a death sentence as it was in the old game because there's yeah multiple ways you could try to handle things, yeah. Along with you know just people having uh, different skills and uh, there's different classes that you slowly unlock. You know, like uh, hunters and tra- trappers, uh, bankers that would uh, that handle uh, transactions a lot easier if you find somebody to trade with on the trail. Uh, smiths that uh, can uh, repair the wagon easier. And uh, come up handy whenever events like that come up. So yeah, it's it feels faithful, but an expanded version of it. If you're interested in it, it's definitely worth trying out. But definitely note going into it what the game is, because there's a lot of just sitting around watching them, you know, uh, walk slowly. Because yeah, that's kind of the game, right? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well. My other game that I played this week is uh, very, very different from that. I played Honkai Star Rail. Um, Honkai Star Rail, and I'm still not convinced I'm saying that word correctly. I looked up how to pronounce it, and it is not a Japanese or Chinese word. I thought it was. It, it is like an English... Englishification? That's probably not a word. But it, it's it's an English um, version of a, a word. Um, and this is actually the second game in the series, although it's the first one to be played like this. The other one was a free-to-play game uh, on PC only. It was Honkai 3D Battle or Honkai mm-hmm. the Third Battle, something like that. It was a 
um, third-person action uh, combat game. Um, sort of an action brawler kind of thing. But I saw a whole bunch of ads for this, and I thought to myself, you know, this looks like it's trying to compete with Genshin. I kind of missed Genshin. Genshin feels like a hot fucking mess to try to get into now just because of how expansive it's become. Yeah, but I kind of always... Like 20 different currencies. Yeah. I was like, but, but you know, I kind of always wanted to play Genshin, so let me jump on this one. And it's been such an interesting experience for me so far. Um, I have to... I'm going to say a lot of stuff that might make you think that I don't like it, but I do. I do like this, and I think it's a pretty solid game. But I'm still trying to square in my mind, like, this game that I think is, to my knowledge, the second in a generation, like a new sort of generation or type of game that I think is going to become very dominant um, in the next few years. I I would imagine that this type of game is more dominant already in, like, Asian markets. Um, But I I do, like, I'm going to say up the top before I get into some, some things that might sound really confusing or, like, I don't like it. Like, I do like this game, and I... I'm going to keep playing it, but I was really caught off guard by a lot of stuff in it. So it is, I think, a competitor Genshin in the in the the idea of what the game is. It is not because Genshin is sort of an action um, game, like an action open world exploration. Like originally, it was like free to play Breath of the Wild, and then it's kind of expanded more and more over over the years. But Honkai Star Rail is a traditional jrpg um it it plays like one it looks like one it feels like one it progresses like one i've played for about three hours two and a half three hours so far and i am basically getting to the point where the game is about to open up for the um of for for the you know the jrpg portion where it's like all right you've got your thing and your MacGuffin and your mission to save the universe now go do it you know, the, the game opens, um, you spend two to three hours on this really confined space station before you're given a, a space train and told to go do a space opera adventure. You get given a full party, which is four members, um, although it does the Genshin like character thing where there are, I don't know, 20 characters, maybe more, that I can see that you can acquire. Um, but you get given four at the beginning of the game as your core party. Um, and it has got some really solid, recognizable, balanced feeling JRPG mechanics. I suppose that could change as time goes on. This is a free to play game. Um, but at least the beginning of the game is balanced to feel like a Final Fantasy title like that's what i keep comparing it to final fantasy in the way that a lot of final fantasy games will open their stories with like here's the plot hook here's the thing here's the big bad evil guy or corporation doing a thing and you've got to survive and get away and then the world opens up it it really does feel like the opening of most final fantasy games you know obviously the non-mmo final fantasy games well uh, it takes 30 hours to get to the point well, we'll find out. It t- it's taken three hours to get to the space train. We'll see if it's given me full control yet, or if there's still some more linear adventure before I get control of the full space train. Um, 
mechanics wise though it feels like a really good solid balanced jrpg there is a there's some sort of rock paper scissors stuff that you would expect um there are different types of magic people who have different types of magic powers and magic uh you know fire and ice and lightning and stuff like that so there's some rock paper scissors mechanics going on with that um everyone has a they have Okay, so I think this is where I think some of the mobile stuff comes in. Everyone has got three moves, but two of their three moves can be changed out with um, an item. Uh, there are there are a bunch of different classes. These classes have different items which unlock different powers for you or for them. They can be changed out on the fly. So you go into a battle with a character having three moves, kind of a normal attack, a special attack, and then an ultimate attack. But you can change out their items on the fly, which gives them different special attacks and different ultimate attacks. Um, these can each all be upgraded, as can your characters, and then they all level up separately just through experience. Um, so there's co- sort of, I guess you could say, a soft level cap. If you don't spend any money or any currency on them, and then more of a hard level cap when you fully upgrade everything. But it keeps battles free-flowing, pretty pretty straightforward, but it doesn't feel super limiting because you can just change out their item um, on the fly. So if something's not working, you just change it out, and then they get a new moveset. Um, and it, it seems to work really well so far. And ultimate abilities can be used at any time. They build up over time, just like in any other JRPG that has some type of ultimate ability. Every time you attack or you take damage or there's one character that I've got that's like a support character. So whenever they act or take damage, everyone's ultimate meter builds up a little bit. And whenever you activate your ultimate, either they go immediately or they go immediately after the enemy that is taking their turn. And it kind of depends. You can't interrupt attacks in progress or certain special attacks, but... A lot of times, if you're fast enough, you can beat the enemy before they initiate their attack, so you can use your ultimate first. And this can really affect the flow of battle, because some ultimates, again, depending on the class, your player character is sort of a fighter. You have like a magic, like a tech, a a techno magic baseball bat. Um, So you're like a melee-based fighter. Um, Then you've got a support character that is ranged. Um, You've got and so they've got like a shield and a, a a buff, and then there's another character who is uh, provides attack and health support and buffs to your allies, and you've got a character that serves as kind of like a tank. And so you can really adjust the flow of battle because if you're using one of the um, support characters, if you've got their buff set to where that it makes you go faster. If you can squeak their ultimate in there, then it applies it to the party, and suddenly they're all faster, and they can all act before the enemy. Or maybe you can squeak in there with an ultimate and kill the next enemy that's supposed to act so that you get to go. It's got the uh, classic um, JRPG like battle order that you can see. So you always know what's up, who's next, what they're, you know, you can plan out your moves ahead of time, um, stuff like that. So the battle system, so far, works really well. Feels very balanced. Feels like a solid JRPG combat system. Um, You can speed up time 
if it's you know if you want to control the battle but you want it to be faster you can speed up all the animations or you can set it to auto battle um especially if you're like grinding out low areas um and this is a feature that a lot of modern jrpgs have a lot the final fantasy remakes that have come out the last couple years have the auto battle feature it's a really useful feature um at first i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about it but i like it to be able to go through and grind um like on the space station you have to double back through one of the areas and the enemies respawn and i just turn on the auto battle feature and so anytime i ran into a group of enemies you know they would get wiped out really quickly and i'd move on so i like that i feel like that's useful um you've got certain abilities that you can use on the overworld i guess you get a fourth ability that doesn't apply in combat but it applies outside of combat and then you get um items and things that you can use beyond just the in-game currency that you level up with uh it, your character little <coughs> excuse me literally has a smartphone because this is like a weird mix of future sci-fi stuff but also magic so your character literally has a cell phone and you text other characters to get missions and map updates and stuff which I, you know, you may like that, you may not, but I think that's kind of nifty. Like, okay, kind of we're just especially modern. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I like that. We're just gonna. <laughs> Everyone has a smartphone. Cool. Um, and it's all laid out very cleanly, which I think kind of gets me to my main thing about this game, is that it's in accordance with like being a competitor to Genshin. It's available everywhere. You can play it on mobile, and that's where I've seen it advertised the most. But you can play it on PC, either through um, just straight up, you can download their launcher, or you can download it through, like, Epic. For some reason, you can't download it through Steam. Probably I'm not sure why, probably. Deal. Yeah, probably, yeah. I, I said that, and I was like, oh, probably, probably ex- exclusivity. And then currently, it's on PlayStation console. It's not on Xbox, but it's coming to Xbox. Let me get a sip of water. Um, and then if you, if you set up an account on their website, as opposed to just like using your, um, you know, Gmail or whatever, then you have unified access, uh, account access across all of your devices. So you can play on your PC and then stop and go play on your PlayStation. You stop, you go play on your phone, continuous, you know, character progression, and that's, like I said, that's why I think this is sort of a direct competitor to Genshin, because that was Genshin's big thing. You can play on PC, and then you can jump onto your phone, and it's the exact same game. Yeah, they originally uh, promised uh, coming to Switch, and I haven't seen anything about it coming to Switch lately, so... Uh, Genshin, I mean. Yeah. And I'm here for that. I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, because I haven't... You know, we're, we make the joke all the time about us being, you know, old. You know, maybe I'm old, yada yada. But this is one of those things where that, like, me as an older person, an older gamer who has thought of mobile gaming as a joke basically since its inception, is I have played this almost exclusively so far on my smartphone. And it runs like a dream, and it feels like I'm playing just a game. Not a mobile game, not a weird port of a console or a PC game, not a weird spinoff, but like just a normal ass video game, but I'm playing it on my phone. And then at work today, I played on my laptop for a little while during some downtime that I had. And other than the fact that, um, you know, it was bigger because I was playing on my computer 
um, monitor instead of my phone, it, it felt and played exactly the same. They have nailed the control scheme for a touchscreen, and I think it helps that it's a JRPG. So if you're not like a hundred percent precise on your movement, you don't get screwed over or notice like a whole bunch of you know sort of move and aim assists. Um, it it's just I'm I'm just playing a game, and it just happens to be on my phone, and I feel so weird about that, but. I think that, you know, if they can get more people like me and you to buy in, they will kickstart sort of this, I don't know, genre or Mm. type of gaming. Mm. Like, it's coming, right? No matter what their adoption rate is for old fucks like us, like, it's coming. This is like a a new wave or genre of gaming that is going to open up and just become mainstream. But I think it'll happen faster if they get more people like me on board as like oh this just feels like i'm playing a video game because it does it just feels like i'm playing a video game and i've had some mixed feelings about that because it's one of the whole things of like challenging your preconceptions changing the way you think about something so i'm considering diving into kenshin just so that i can get some comparisons and maybe have a larger conversation about this one day in the future because I'm I mean, still I haven't at played this... it in quite a while, just because. I, my main problem with Genshin was that, at least on my phone, it's a battery killer. Yeah, so I got. I think I mentioned this last week, but just you know, I got a brand new Samsung Galaxy S twenty three plus, which has got a five thousand milliamp battery, and um, it lasts for about. I tested it. It lasted for two and a half days before I got a low battery notification from just normal use from my phone, calling people, texting people, watching some YouTube, listening to music. Um, You know, it lasted about two and a half days. Uh, And this ran it down about 25% in the 90 minutes that I played on my phone. So it would be a battery killer. You would have to be sitting next to or have access relatively quickly to a power source. Although it might be help because I'm I'm running my screen at 2K resolution at 120 hertz refresh rate on my phone screen, and then the game is running on its maximum graphics settings with its highest frame rate, which is 60 FPS. But that's fine, you know. That's especially on mobile. Like that feels amazing on mobile. So, I, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. It does have a decent amount of graphical options, and on the, the options menus are different on the phone versus the PC, um, because there are a lot of options on the phone that are geared towards battery management. So, I could play with those some more and report back in the future if you want me to, but I do think that it could be a, a huge battery killer and a your mileage may vary thing. I mean, I'll be interested to hear about it. Like, like I said, I, kill, I, I stopped for a couple of reasons. One, I was having computer issues, so doing it on my computer was meh. Uh, And it just murdered my battery. And this was before I swapped out my battery, so that also factors into it. By thinking about it, because it's been a while, so that was on the old battery that was on its way out anyway. Yeah. This game does suffer from what, what honestly is just modern gaming syndrome. Where that there are modern free to play mm-hmm. gaming syndrome because there are, let's see, you've got credits, and then a bunch of materials. Uh, they are crafting materials. 
It doesn't mm-hmm. look like you can actually purchase the crafting materials. You just collect them. So I might have to let that one slide as a currency. But there are like, I don't know, 15, 20 different crafting materials that I've already started collecting. Mm-hmm. But, but there's credits. There are two different types of star tickets. And then some kind of, I think they're called Azure points. So right now there are four primary currencies for spending on stuff plus all of the crafting materials which might be more like currencies once i get a little bit farther into the game and see what they're used for mm-hmm. so and it does do loot boxes I, it calls them card draws but they're just fucking loot boxes for characters like any gotcha game does yeah so if that's something that you as a, a listener or a gamer struggle with like don't even bother with this mm-hmm. but if that's not something that that you struggle with too much, I mean, it's worth checking out. I, I was amazed. I was amazed at how much it just feels like I'm playing a JRPG. So, like when we're when we're done recording tonight, if I'm like still awake instead mm-hmm. of watching YouTube videos to wind down, I'm gonna go kick back in in my recliner and play this for twenty or thirty minutes. Like I want to see. Like I can finally get on the fucking Star Train. I don't <laughs> know what's on the Star Train. <laughs> Or it's the Soul Train. So yeah, that is Honkai Star Rail. Gesundheit. Blown away by that one. Old fart. Indeed. So let's uh, let's dive into the rest of the topic list if you don't have anything that you'd like to add or that you thought of otherwise to discuss. Uh, No, I mean, let's dive right in. Okie dokie. Let me get over here. Our first news topic of the night. Nintendo sale Nintendo Switch sales slow surpasses 125 million. Yeah, this is kind of two news topics that were going around this week combined into one. I mean, it's kind of obvious that it's going to slow down whenever it hits that big a milestone <laughs> because damn. Yeah. Uh this makes it I believe the third best-selling uh Nintendo console. Now, now I'm double checking myself. I know the DS, I think, is still up there. Uh, Let's see. This says, in the article, here's how things stand compared to Nintendo's previous console sales. Nintendo DS, 154.2 million. Uh, I missed it. Switch, 125. Original Game Boy, 118 million. Wii, 101 million. And then so on and so forth down the line. (laughs) Oh, all the way at the bottom. Wii U, 13.56 million. No, uh, the funnier one is if you go on to uh, Wikipedia. So this moves uh, Switch into number three spot. Uh, with uh, DS and PlayStation 2 being the only ones that sold better. Which, they still have a long ways to go to get to PlayStation 2. That's $155 billion. And DS... Did DS have a lot of different uh, iterations? I know 3DS did. Yeah, there was the original DS, there was the DS XL, which was like the big one. There was, I think it was called the DS Ultra, um, which was like a more powerful version. And then there was the Ultra XL, and then there was one called, I think the DS, DSi? I don't know, there were several, yeah, there, there was were DSi. a bunch of versions of the DS. So, and uh, while Nintendo does have a lot more... Or, uh, I shouldn't say a lot more, uh, a fair number of uh, iterations. 
uh, a lot of the iterations are more around Joy Cons these days, with a few, uh, yeah, consoles here and there. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a no-brainer to me, at least, that you know, console sales are slowing, especially you know, pandemic is. Well, I shouldn't say over, but you know, lockdowns over, which uh, what really drove a lot of Switch sales. Um, uh, they're actually in stock now, so yeah, you know, they they'll have that you know. Uh, extent or uh, extra uh, drive to get them because, right? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, it, it's. I'm surprised that that we haven't seen the Switch Pro, which makes me think that uh, what was. Uh, I'm still of the belief that uh, they had planned a, a secondary, more powerful version of the Switch, but just because of supply chain issues and. Uh, and computer chip issues where you're just never going to see it and they're going to move on to whatever the next Nintendo console is going to be. Because, yeah, we're at, what, seven years now on the Switch? Damn, is it really? Yeah, it, it is. So, I'm fully expecting to see them swap out before too long. Or at least, yeah, announce something. And they have a big event coming up in a month or so, I believe. Uh are going to start hinting at things, that'd be a time, right? Yeah. Hmm. But but still, that is a hell of a lot of, uh, of uh, consoles sold. And that's kind of the thing, is that the Switch is uh, like that kind of perfect mix of uh, handheld and uh, console where, you know, you can take it on the go. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not as, in my opinion, as good as a portable console as the uh, DS was or the 3DS. Uh, partly because of battery life issues, because, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, honestly, the screen could be a lot brighter, but I also have the original version. I'm not sure if the OLED has yeah, uh, any impact on that. Uh, but it's a good party uh, console. It's a good you know, uh, pick up and play with a group. Especially if you have a few extra Joy-Cons, because honestly, playing with uh, just the one uh, in that like little mini controller mode just sucks, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm honestly not surprised that we're uh, seeing the, uh, the slowdown. I'm not sure about you. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's been years. Years and years. I mean, all mm-hmm. the stuff that you just said. Like, you know, you, you hit... Obviously, it's not world level population saturation, but you do hit market saturation. Yeah, you know, there's only so many people to buy these things brand new, and you have a secondary market um, that they don't get to dip into for these sales or anything that comes out of them. And also, since you know the market is not, uh, yeah, clamoring for them now, and you have scalpers buying up all the secondary uh, sales. You're seeing them on, uh, yeah, like eBay and uh, Facebook, uh, as pretty decent deals. That's the, kind of the other, yeah, uh, flip side of this. You know, when uh, things were yeah a little crazy, you know, uh, you would see a reseller of a Switch asking for more than uh, manufacturer retail price because you know nobody had them in stock. Yeah. Now if I. Really wanted to cheap out and uh, just get you know get into the uh, thing. 
you could get them on eBay pretty easily. You can find decent deals now. I mean, it's still a Nintendo console, so finding uh, really good deals on games is a bit of a uh, tough thing, but it's there. You can find them. Yep, as long as you're okay with having physical copies. I'm I'm very much a digital digital boy now, mm-hmm. but um you know, you can still get the uh physical copies of the games depending on what they are sometimes for a, a pretty good price. Some of the most popular stuff holds its value, but you know, third-party titles or weird little games or mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, good deals to be found. So yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah, so speaking of Switch sales, <laughs> right? Yeah, speaking speaking of Nintendo. Uh Nintendo on Warpath files DMCA on emulation tool. So basically they're uh, in the middle of trying to hammer down people be able to play Zelda Tears of the Kingdom before Friday. Uh because the game leaked a week and a half before uh uh, it's launch date because it's a modern game, right? That, not just that, it's a Zelda game. So, of course, if it's going to leak, it's going to leak, right? Yeah. So, what they've been doing to try to contain it is going after emulators so, you know, they can just lock down the game, right? Yeah, I find it, it, on a immediate tangent, Nintendo has a huge problem in its modern era with all of its games leaking ahead of ahead of release and on top of that them running better on emulation software oh, that was the that's kind of the idea that there was some sort of uh pro version idea for the switch with the uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet that it just ran so poorly on uh first party hardware well, if you gave it just a little bit more power or even used a jailbroken switch that's overclocked, which, yes, that's a thing, uh, with uh, better cooling, obviously, uh, it runs so much better. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we were just saying, this hardware is seven years old and it already was not cutting edge, top of the line when it released. Like, yeah. I think they've just pushed the hardware as far as they can if they want to keep, you know, doing bigger, air quotes, better games. Mm-hmm. At least bigger and better in the way that AAA developers, including Nintendo, often look at bigger and better. Yeah. Although Nintendo does tend to focus more on gameplay, but it's still... Mm, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not just Nintendo. There's been attacks on emulator uh, groups as well, because, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, Jim Stephanie Sterling brought up uh, how Gotaku, of all places, <laughs> is the one place that's handling Tears of the Kingdom well, because they're reporting on all the leaks, and they're not playing ball with uh, Nintendo, because, yeah, they're not in the game, yeah, essentially. And how Gotaku's been getting a lot of hate because of it. Well, the emulator groups have also been uh, getting, you know, flack from uh, uh, Nintendo fanboys and Zelda fanboys. Because, right? Yeah. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. wrong. I'm all for hating Kotaku. Like, mm-hmm. but not not for this. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels weird that Kotaku's the good guys here, right? Yeah. 
weird. Historically, they have not been. Mm-hmm. Usually far from it, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Uh, there's just so much flack going on around uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and I get it. It's going to be a system mover. Yeah. Uh, there's some interesting things that I've uh, seen uh, in the trailers. I have not gone into any of the leaks. I've actually need to finish the game, the previous game at some point. But the thing is that there's a certain point that Nintendo fans get a little bit rabid. And it gets scary. Yeah. And uh, the developers of these emulators are you know suffering from it. And the thing is that emulators themselves are completely legal. As long as they're not using copyrighted code or, you know, uh, I believe the thing is that they can't use anything from the official system. So, yeah, they can't, like, decompile uh, uh, files and re- essentially rewrite them. They have to do everything essentially blonde uh, to be legal. But Nintendo's still going after them because, you know, they have, you know, fuck you money. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The fuck you money. But yeah, a lot of emulators will, you know, make you get something. You know, you have yeah. to extract some kind of code from your physical console, which obviously, you know, yeah, the emulators it, don't say this, but obviously you can just go get that anywhere on uh, the internet. What are you talking about? I'm definitely, uh, down, uh, you know, uh, uh, hooking my PlayStation up to my computer to get the BIOS file. Absolutely. As did I when I got PCSX2 to run the first time. Wink. But, you know, like that's, you know, that's the emulators will tell you to do that. And you can absolutely 100%. You can do that legitimately. But also, you know, you can just get it online. But the emulators don't tell you that. They don't mm-hmm. link to that. And then that keeps them out of legal trouble, usually. Until Nintendo gets a, uh, yo. Uh, stick up their ass because right yeah i mean the thing about this is it's nintendo is never going to win this yeah they won't i mean they might win in court but but that's the thing it's not about them winning it's about them stalling yeah this is a stalling tactic to try to contain uh tears of the kingdom uh leaks because uh, they might find out that hey uh zelda isn't actually the protagonist's name. <laughs> we'll all be damned. All these years, how could I have not known? Well, but wait yeah. till you find out about Samus. Oh, shit. What about him? Uh-oh. Huh? Uh-oh, Uh-oh him. <laughs> you see what I did there? Huh? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Nintendo, and I get it. You're right. You're right. But Nintendo will never win this because people will just keep posting stuff on the internet or in the eternal race of you know armor versus weapon Mm -hmm. you know lawsuits are just a a type of armor that will delay people for a minute and then they'll just get back to work so but yeah nintendo has been on a warpath here recently i mean i guess they're kind of always like doing stuff but they've, they've been making headlines for a hot minute here with all kinds of nasty shit they've been doing mm-hmm and the air quotes fanboys don't care, but normal people do. But to be fair, a majority of Nintendo's fan base don't even know emulators probably exist. 
or mm-hmm. if they do, they agree that emulators are like awful, killing the industry, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So speaking of the industry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or how about a positive uh, story? Okay. Why don't you read that one? So we have a the newest inductees in the World Video Game Hall of Fame, The Last of Us, Wii Sports, Computer Space, and Barbie. Which sounds like an odd mix, uh, but uh, hear me out here, all right? So, all right. Uh, space, uh, uh, computer space, is one of the first, if not the first, game to incorporate physics or uh, gravity uh, sp- uh, specifically uh, into gameplay. This is the, uh, if memory serves correctly, this is essentially uh, uh, Pong plus a gravity well. Now, now I'm double checking myself because there, uh, a lot of the games back then are, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. It's essentially like two shape of spaceships battling, and there's a gravity well in the middle of it. So Last of Us, yeah, pretty obvious on that one, right? Yeah, I mean, The Last of Us, definitely not the PC version. <laughs> <laughs> no. The uh, Last of but, Us, despite my mixed feelings about some aspects of the game, and especially its community, is a groundbreaking sort of video game storytelling experience, and is one of the only video game properties to have a successful adaptation to another storytelling medium. Um, You know, I, I think that's that says something about how games can are being taken more seriously in some ways. Um, so I I get why they would uh, induct it. Mm -hmm. Wii Sports. I mean, this was uh, uh, for a long time the packing title for the Wii and really sold motion controls to the general public and put the Wii on the map. Yeah, I remember uh, of all places seeing QVC demoing Wii Sports at you know at like the height of it, you know, and uh, watching you know. 40-something people playing video games felt weird, but at the same time, right? Yeah, for a lot of people in my life that were not, you know, air quotes gamers, TM, uh, Wii Sports became, like, what they were talking about when they talked about video games. Like, it became this part of the vernacular for middle-aged and elderly people who had never really played games before. Yeah, according to this, it's the number one sold game for the Wii by uh, like two and some times. Which makes uh, sense. It was the packing game for a long time. So, yeah. uh, well, okay, let's put it this way: Wii Sports eighty-two point nine million, Mario Kart Wii, which was also a packing game, thirty-seven point three eight million. Then Wii Sports Resort thirty-three point one four million. You have uh, three games before you hit the uh, proper Mario platformer for the uh, console. It should tell you something, right? And, yeah. and that's kind of the other thing, is that as much as we shrug off motion controls, for the most part, I mean, I gotta admit that in Splatoon they really work, but it's because of they're for small movements instead of big grand ones. Motion controls for something like a sports game makes a lot of sense and makes it a lot more accessible. It's a lot easier for somebody to understand, uh, be able to uh, bowl with a bowling motion, and be able to tweak their uh, uh, 
their aim by changing how they throw the ball with the motion controls than it is with a little indicator on screen or uh, any you know sort of scheme you want to come up there with it, right? Yeah. I so think motion so controls are... So it definitely made it more accessible. Most motion controls are very intuitive to someone who has little or no gaming experience. Because mm-hmm. you don't have that gaming muscle memory built up. So it's just easy for you, like you said, to swing your arm or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and that's something that we probably should talk about at some point. as like a general topic. You know, the vocabulary of gaming. You know, like press uh, A to jump, right? Yeah. Although, uh, finding X on a controller can be a real bitch if you don't know what controller you're using. <clears throat> and the last one, I think it's the most fascinating out of possibly all of these. Maybe not uh, counting computer space, because that's you know, old school, late 70s. Alright? Yeah. As Barbie Fashion Designer, and hear me out, it's because of where it stands in the mo- uh, at, at, at the time frame. This was a mid-90s title. And one of the first, if not the first, to market to girls. There were two gaming computers that were released in the 90s. There was the Barbie computer and the Hot Wheels computer. Uh-huh. And the I've Barbie seen that computer LGR had, one. Uh-huh. And the Barbie, Barbie computer was, had Barbie fashion designer. And the Hot Wheels computer had some Hot Wheels game. Like, it was, you know, mm-hmm. it's pack-in games. But yeah. This game, I think to someone who's not a... Uh, into gaming history, this won't make any sense. Like, whoopie fucking do, it's Barbie. But for me and you, we're like, oh yeah, we both, like, we both know of and probably even remember that PC, not just like have seen it. I remember seeing it in in, uh, catalogs, and there was an LGR uh, video of him restoring and updating the Hot Wheels version of it. Yeah, I have seen that one. Uh, Linus Tech Tips also did one on the Hot Wheels one. Mind you, it sold uh over a hundred or sorry, over a half a million copies in its first two months. The Barbie one is apparently a lot more rare than the Hot Wheels mm-hmm. one. Which I find interesting. I feel like it either would not have sold as well. Oh well, which actually I no mean, that I makes more I sense. I don't, I don't find it I don't find it as surprising because uh like I said uh, Barbie fashion designer was like one of the first times, if not the first time, that girls were uh, uh, specifically targeted for uh, a game. Uh, you, although, you know, you might have some loose definition of game with a fashion designer, but we won't get into that. But well, uh, meanwhile, boys had been targeted pretty much from the start. So it it doesn't surprise me that the Hot Wheels one is a lot more common because it's just a a more historically rich demographic. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I was what I was going to say, I kind of like lost my train of thought for a second. Like I confused myself, but I feel like the Barbie one would would not have sold as well, which would result in more sort of pristine stock. You know. Uh, uh, well, it really depends on how they handled the stock on that, because if they only kept so many uh, and yeah, ready to go, right. Yeah, fair enough. They could have made way less anticipating that, so maybe Ooh. it worked out about the same or, you know, more poorly. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, now I gotta find out. Hot Wheels PC. <laughs> Are you, what, looking it up on eBay? Yeah. I'm gonna guess... Mm, 
to get one that's like in good sure. working shape, thousand bucks. <laughs> you wish. Oh, really? That much more? Uh, here's one with the wheel. Uh, forty five hundred. Holy shit! And like they claim to be it to be in working order, no restoration needed. And it says it needs to do power bank. So I'm assuming got uh, power supplies toast. But wider works and everything else works. It's just the power supplies busted, which if I remember correctly, it was a proprietary power supply. Yeah, on the LGR's rebuild, they had to like do some dremeling inside the case to make a power supply fit. Here's one that's uh shown to be on uh in the uh uh, screen are in the pictures 2800 and it also has the wheel and everything looks really good on it it even has the uh, startup guide or the setup guide to it so yeah, yeah. all the paperwork down to the registration card <laughs> right yeah part of me wants stuff like that but most of me is like you don't need to spend money on guff that you're never going to use, and it's just going to sit in the corner of your office or something for all eternity. Although you got to admit, it would be hilarious to make it a sleeper. You know? <laughs> yeah. Take the case, and... Although you could just make your own custom case. You mm. wouldn't need to recycle that o- the old one. You could make your own or get a case. And I have admittedly thought about getting a really old case. And updating it, you know, swap out the USB ports. Yeah. Which I'm glad I swapped out cases on my, uh, when I built the new computer. Because, turns out, uh, last time I had used my micro uh, SD card reader, I had uh, actually ripped the uh, USB port out of my old computer. And I didn't realize it. Don't know your own strength. Well, it's uh, a rather tight fit. Yeah, I know. That's what she said. <laughs> and I went to plug in the uh, micro USB reader. And, you know, it has, you know uh, USB-A has the, has the problem of uh, it's always in a superposition. You, know, you have to pl- try to plug it in, flip it over, try to plug it in, flip it over, then it plugs in. All right? Yes. At least three times. If not four. Well, no matter what I would do, it wouldn't fit in. Then I looked and I saw it was clogged. Then I realized that the portion of the USB port that is poking up out of it to make contact into the uh, plug of the reader, I broke it off and it was stuck in the reader. So that was a fun bit of surgery. I had something similar happen once on a USB port on one of my older computers. Mm-hmm. Older laptop, rather. It it just resulted in that being a dead port. Yeah, I mean, same on the other computer, obviously. But, yeah, I would love to build some sort of sleeper like that. Uh, what games would you put in the uh, gaming world uh, uh, Hall of Fame? I mean, to be fair, I don't know the actual list of what's in there. I don't either. Um, I, w- I would say... Uh, World of Warcraft would definitely have to be in there if it's not already. As much as I dislike of what they've done to it, it kind of reshaped what MMOs were and made them more mainstream. 
And yeah. in, the, in that same stream, I would say actually put EverQuest in as well. Uh, the first EverQuest. Yeah, taking it from very niche buds to a more open uh, market. Although it was still extremely niche until World of Warcraft kind of decimated things. Hmm. What would I pick? That's kind of like my first thought was those two. Yeah, let's see. Like, there's a couple, like... I would say, but like, hey, I know Halo's in the gaming Hall of Fame already, but you know, Halo like sort of reinvigorated, completely changed the shooter genre, mm-hmm. taking it from something. Okay, that, uh, okay, I found the uh, class list, so okay. we could go over the previous classes. So, uh, the first class was Angry Birds. Oh, sorry. Uh, hang on, let me... Okay, uh, then uh, then Ducties are in bold, so... Sorry. Doom, Pac-Man, Pong, Super Mario Brothers 85, Tetris, and World of Warcraft, so I called it there, huh? Um, Legend of Zelda, The Oregon Trail, uh, The Sims... Oh, sorry, Oregon. The Sims, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Invaders, Grand Theft Auto 3... Pokemon Red and Green, uh, Street Fighter Two, uh, uh, the World Warrior. So the original Street Fighter Two, Donkey Kong, Halo Combat Evolved, Final Fantasy Seven, John Madden Football, the very first one, Tomb Raider, Space War, Solitaire, Mortal Kombat, Super or Mario Kart, Colossal Cave Adventure. Centipede, King's Quest, Minecraft, Bejeweled, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, Animal Crossing, Microsoft Flight Simulator, StarCraft, Miss Pac-Man, Sid Meier's Civilization, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which I'm shocked it took them until 2022, then Wii Sports, Barbie Fashion Designer, Computer Space, and Last of Us. So several that I was going to say turned out to be on the list. I was going to say Civilization. I was going to say Microsoft Flight Simulator. Halo, I said, and it was on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have said Grand Theft Auto, probably just the original Grand Theft Auto. Uh, Ocarina of Time. Like, I would have said all of those. Um, ones that kind of come to mind <clears throat> that uh, didn't get listed. Mm-hmm. I would say Need for Speed. Um I would say I'm not sure if I said Minecraft, but Minecraft is on the list. Yeah, you did say Minecraft. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I would say Need for Speed. I would say mm... Ooh, I got one. Okay. Rogue. <clears throat> oh yeah, Rogue. Mm-hmm. As in the original Rogue. Where Rogue Light comes from. It is actually on the finalist list for uh, last year, but it didn't make the holdover finalists from last year, so. Did you say Wolfenstein? Were any of the Wolfensteins on there? Actually, no. I would say Wolfenstein. It hasn't even been uh, nominated. I'd go the uh, yeah, Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah. Command and Conquer. If I had to pick a specific Command and Conquer, I'd probably say Red Alert, the original Red Alert. <clears throat> but Command and Conquer in general, I think. Um, Homeworld. Or maybe Homeworld 2, but one of those. Um, I would go Super Mario 64. Yeah. 
Super Mario 64. They, they had the original Super Mario Brothers, but not 64, which you know, it's kind of laid the groundwork for pretty much all 3D platformers. Well, I shouldn't say all, but yeah, for quite a while, it was the gold standard of how to handle camera controls. And yeah. it did a really ingenious thing of uh, you know, having it where it taught you very quickly how to manipulate the camera. And looking back at it, it's, you know, feels archaic, but, right? Yeah. Metal Gear Solid. Say Metal Gear Solid. Resident Evil. Probably Resident Evil 2 specifically, mm. but but Resident Evil. Um, I am... I mean, I could, I could keep going through. I yeah. think I could list more, but I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I'm really having to think. I feel like the obvious choices, at least that I'm familiar with, what I would consider obvious mm-hmm. choices... Like most of those are either already on it or I've already said. Or were uh, nominees like NBA Jam has been a nominee a couple times. Was FIFA Farm- a nominee? Farmville has been a nominee. FIFA's been a nominee a couple times. Uh, for FIFA, it's the uh, original FIFA. You know, like Sega Genesis FIFA. <laughs> yeah. As much as. Oh. Uh. I'm not sure which battle royale I'd put on it. I would actually lean towards like player Unknown's battleground. Yeah, given it's sort of um, getting the ball rolling on that mm-hmm. genre, like Half Life, uh, maybe Half Life Two. Half Life has been nominated a couple times. What about Team Fortress Two? Uh, I would actually put that more in like the gaming uh, hall of infamy with some of the microtransactions they put in there over the years. As much as I dislike it, League of Legends, I think, mm-hmm. probably deserves to be up there. Yeah. StarCraft uh, is in it, but it took it quite a while. Uh, but I would say put StarCraft's, uh, uh, StarCraft 2 with some of its stuff going on. Yeah, the expanded uh, arcade and... All right. Yeah. So we, we got a little bit of a second wind there. I... I th- <laughs> It just feels like there's not a lot of mobile on here. But the thing is, a lot of mobile feels very infamous, right? Yeah. Wordle. A lot Wordle. of stuff, too, that I'm thinking of. What about of Wordle? Eh. Uh, that's kind of more recent, but it was also a cultural phenomenon there for a while. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the stuff that I would start listing, too, is stuff that's only very specific to me. You know, like Ace Combat, for example. I love <laughs> Ace Combat. That's a very niche series that I don't think has a lot of sort of recognition. So, you know, like as much as that might be in one of my Hall of Fame top 10 whatever lists, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't, I don't think that meets the criteria to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with them on Final Fantasy Seven over. A lot of others, even though it's not my favorite. It's the, I think, the most cultural touchpoint one, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. plays a huge deal for Hall of Fame. Yeah, because it's really the one that kind of uh, yeah, brought JRPGs to the mainstream in the West. Because yeah. kind of before that, it, yeah, they were there, but they were very niche. I'm just trying to think of any more and just like, hmm. I mean, you could go to some of the old tech stuff, but the thing is that uh, as much as I used to love those, are they really 
relevant anymore, right? Diablo. The original Diablo. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Diablo 2. Yeah. And by extension, I think maybe Baldur's Gate. Mm-hmm. Although those could be, like, super-duper niche. I don't know. I feel like they're cultural touch points, but for I the old-school gaming crowd, you know? I remember if they had Deus Ex as a nominee. Deus Ex would be a good one. Bioshock. Did you say Bioshock? Uh, Bioshock feels pretty no, culturally say, relevant. I, I didn't say Bioshock. Deus Ex hasn't even been nominated. Which, damn, right? Neither has Bioshock. But, uh, which... I do think Bioshock has definitely hurt itself with the uh, the third iteration, but it's still right that you know that very first you know plane crash right. Yeah, I would also ooh I, I'm kind of looking at a couple lists for ideas, and that's one Sim City. As much as Sim City, uh, yeah, crashed and burned. It really kind of launched a. Uh, a little niche and expanding genre of uh, very loose uh, uh, simulation games on PC. The Sims are, are on here, but not this, uh, but not Sim City, which feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, Ooh, I agree there, with oh, that. And there's, oh, and there's one more missed. Just missed the list. Eh, eh, eh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also a lot easier for us to yeah sit here and just name off a bunch of games because yeah we don't have to argue it right right because we're literate. I would I would argue I would go argue for games to go into or not the Hall of Fame. You and kidding? I would what... fucking love that. <laughs> it's like I have prepared a two hundred po- slide PowerPoint. For why you should induct Battletech into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Let's begin. Uh, but more specifically, Battletech with exactly my mod set. Yeah. So. All right. So. Is uh, that our last on, news article? No, no we got one, one more. more. That's kind of a general uh, news topic. It popped up again. Uh, this was a, uh, originally an article back in February, but it's a lot more relevant now. Gamers are PC gamers are getting really fed up of one shitty port after another. Oh boy, right? Yep. And I have a Steam two fifty bottom one hundred on here on this list for entry number fourteen for you to go look at. Okay, number fourteen. Um. Just 14 down, or, or are you saying 14 up from the bottom? No, no the 14th one. Uh, listed 14th, so it would be the uh, 14 uh, uh, bottom-rated game on Steam. So, Redfall. Yep. Just released eight days ago. It is uh, ranking a whole 32% overall, with a 28 on uh, recent. Or, sorry, 29, because, you know, of how they factor it in, it is abysmal. This has been the year of Apology JPEG. I feel like every year is the year of Apology JPEG. Mm. But how about this? Every year it's more so. Yeah, that's that's a compromise I can live with. Because we've just seen more and more coming out in just absolutely broken states and. 
fans latching on to, well, maybe they'll get the, uh, you know, No Man's Sky treatment of, uh, you know, getting uh, several years of uh, post-launch development when the game is, is fundamentally broken on a mechanical side, not just, you know, performance side. Yeah. Which I've watched a couple of reviews of Redfall from critics I trust. And the game world just feels like copy paste, copy paste, copy paste over and over. Uh, Digital Foundry highlighted in the same parking lot, they had four copies of the exact same truck. All right, for I don't, example. I don't actually know. I don't know hardly anything, maybe anything at all about Redfall. What is Redfall supposed to be? Redfall is essentially um, the modern version of uh, Left 4 Dead. Oh, okay. Uh, cooperative, online, uh, supposedly story-driven uh, uh, first-person shooter. But the thing is that you know, the story is nonsense. Uh, the character abilities uh, essentially break what the characters are supposed to be. So um, you might see on the screenshots uh, that a uh, guy throwing a burb. Okay. Uh, he's supposed to be a really stealthy sniper. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, gets a bunch of bonus points and do stealth attacks. But the thing is that if you put any points into the burb, it starts attacking things and alerts uh, uh, enemies that you're in the area. And it negates all the bonus atta- uh, skills that you get for attacking things that are unaware that you're there. So, all right. See. And all the characters have one, maybe two abil- abilities. And everything else is focused all around uh, co-op. So if you're playing single player, you're shit out of luck. And it requires uh, online connection, even if you're in single player. Because, of course, it does. Um, they did a weird thing where only the host gets story progression. So if you and me were playing, uh, we'd either have to trade off host to, and do the same missions twice. Or just say, okay, well, you're going to get the progression for this entire playthrough, and right? That's dumb as hell. The mm-hmm. last time I saw a game that did that was actually when Star Wars The Old Republic released. Because <laughs> it was only the person who was hosting, like it was your, your group leader, got story progression. Like, everybody else got experience, but not the story progression. And they also didn't get to decide any of the, make any of the choices in the story. Only the host did. Yeah. Well, don't worry. There's no choices to be had. Uh, oh. All the char- all the characters oh, uh, essentially are that are all the NPCs. Um, I believe the uh, I believe Digital Foundry said they have all the uh, characterization of a self ch- uh, service uh, kiosk at Taco Bell, and that they could be replaced with the same and uh, not lose any uh, uh, functionality whatsoever. And they could give me tasty tacos. Yeah, and it, and you could cheat yourself just as much as Redfall has. hey I mean, if you want to try it at some point, it is on Game Pass. <laughs> oh, jeez. We could. Shit, we could do that Sunday. We were talking about, like, finding new games to play. Yeah, but I was hoping to find a good game to play. Well, it'll be something we could collectively bitch at. I mean, we don't have to, but that is, is an idea, an option. Yeah, and uh, uh, so it is... Uh... Yeah, murder-suicide. <laughs> we woke up and chose violence. On each other. Mm-hmm. I would say go watch a review first. 
because right yeah i will they'll probably be talking about it on this week's i'm i'm a, I'm a week behind so this week's or maybe last week's episode of podquisition but you know it's not just redfall um last of us released with absolutely abysmal performance on pc uh jedi survivor oh boy um even stuff that has gotten mostly praised like Hogwarts Legacy had performance issues on PC. Yeah, before, you know, uh, you know, having the whole PC thing in general, right? Yeah. I went I it's so interesting to me like why or how this happens. Like other than just like laziness or incompetence, I've always got the impression that um like on the whole sort of comparing like modern for modern Gaming PCs are much more powerful than their console counterparts, but there's always the optimization path line or pathway that makes console gaming competitive or even superior to a similar, at least in terms of like graphical fidelity and stuff, mm-hmm. competitive or superior to PC gaming at the exact same sort of price point, even though a PC has more sort of raw computing power and usefulness. But I think devs, I, like, just assume, like, well, it'll be okay. Uh, you know, if they're not just being lazy, they're like, ah, oh, well, well, fuck it. Well, the thing is, it's not just, yeah, being lazy. It's being forced to put out stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm sure the de- uh, the developers don't want to push out, you know, a game that is getting 30 FPS on a top-of-the-line rig, and if you're below, like, 12 uh, gigabytes of video RAM, you're utterly fucked. But... Yeah, their hands are tied because they're, you know, have to beat deadlines. Yeah, they're being forced to by the publisher and management and all that jazz. So I'm, I'm more thinking that they're forced to do some of these things. I mean, there are issues under the hood on some of these. Like, I believe Last of Us was uh, relying a lot on uh, video RAM mostly because of how the PS5's uh, architecture is. That's a, essentially a consolidated RAM pool. And they never really changed that on the remaster uh, to for the PC version. So it was basically treating video RAM as, like, everything. Yeah. Uh, on top of just CPU issues and bottlenecking there and just uh, utter disaster. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's just so much money tied up into marketing as well that... Uh, if you delay, you know, you basically validate all the money that you put into it. That I definitely see the, I don't want to say some cost fallacy on this because it's not a fallacy. You're validating, you know, millions upon tens of millions of dollars of, of advertising revenue by, you know, now it's, you know, saying the wrong date, right? Yeah. Uh, that, uh, having a, a way to fix it post-launch is a lot more attractive. But then you have uh, situations like this where the game just seems like it's fundamentally broken on so many fronts that you're just waiting for the documentary to go behind the scenes and find out what the fuck. I mean, uh, uh, Suicide Squad basically scrapped uh, this year's release and is going to be next year, as far as I know. Which is very telling of uh, Arkham Knight's th- uh, flop from last year to this year. Uh, and just how it's kind of 
made them think that uh, that twice and just uh what uh, what we were going to look at on that game, right? Yeah. Has there been a AAA release that has had some sort of issue on PC? Mm. This year, I should say. I don't know. I just I don't I don't like I mean we've talked about this before like I almost never buy new games. I occasionally I will buy a new game. But I usually I just wait and so all of that stuff just kind of passes me by. Mhm. I mean for me if I'm playing a new PC game uh, a near release it's from Game Pass. Yeah, same. I mean Dead Island uh, 2 as far as I know it it exists. That's pretty much its main issue is that well, it doesn't really do much, but yeah, yeah, it's a zombie game, right? Yeah, I have kind of wanted to play Dead Island, but I, I played the the first Dead Island and I liked it, and you know, I, I've been looking forward, mm-hmm. air quotes, looking forward to Dead Island two for a while. Mm-hmm. So I do want to play it, but I'm not buying it. Mm-hmm. It's not on Game Pass, is it? I don't think so. I don't see it. Then yeah, so. You know, maybe someday I'll I'll get it. Maybe not. <laughs> I just also I just kind of wait and see if a game comes to Game Pass now. Yeah, which is kind of a double-edged sword with uh, uh, new games uh, having sales issues as well because you know Game Pass is such a good deal, right? Yeah, I might be more tempted to buy games though if they came out in a state that wasn't so fucked up and broken all the time though. So, kind well, of... this is also why you don't pre-order games in the first place. Yep, I haven't pre-ordered a, a game in many, 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 many years. Well, technically, I pre-ordered a couple games for like Christmas and stuff, but uh, that's yeah, bending the rule. Yeah, I haven't pre-ordered a game since before we started making the podcast, but I don't mm-hmm. know when the last time I actually pre-ordered a game was. That's a lie. Yes, I do remember. It was it was Destiny, the first Destiny. Um, I pre-ordered the Xbox. Special edition, whatever its special edition was, that was the last game I pre-ordered. Uh, if you want to get technical and uh, toss out, uh, you know, stuff like getting, uh, you know, Persona Five on Switch for Anita, um, I would say if you want to get technical, it would be uh, BattleTech because I bought it on release day, but it was like right before the game released. But I also saw reviews of it beforehand. Yeah. So it was like a pre-order of like an hour. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't remember pre-ordering Battletech. I did buy it on release day. And the I, I guess I did buy the season pass. I don't know if that counts as pre-ordering or not. But I did oh, buy the Battletech season I, pass. Season passes I'm kind of mixed on uh, how I feel about them because usually they're a pretty decent deal if you go you know, there's at least one or depending on the uh, the pack size. But at the same time it's such a drip fee- uh, feed, right? Yeah. But hey, I, you know, I got uh, season three on SnowRunner for uh, you know, a dollar, so yeah, uh, that map's worth a quarter. Shame we Ooh. can't get multiplayer to work. Yeah, I don't have the new map. I suppose I could try hosting. I'll I'll get it eventually, but <clears throat> I've still got so much to do on the previous. Oh, I do too. Few I just, DLC maps. I just had to burn my credit because I didn't realize. Microsoft store credit only was good for like uh, 90 days. Yeah. So I went ahead and burned it before. Uh, yeah, I forgot about it and lost it. So 
I don't um I don't believe I have anything else to add. Do you? Um uh, me either. And it is getting kind of late, so I guess Discovery Q's off the uh, charts for this week, huh? Yeah, if we want <laughs> I think if we <laughs> want to do a Discovery Q, we either need to not spend so much time faffing around at the beginning or like cut a, a topic or two so that we can and I mean, you know, we didn't cut this week. But like maybe <laughs> we should just plan for that in the future. Like maybe. Maybe we have to make time and space for Discovery Q. Space. Um, anyways, though, yeah, we'll we'll cut Discovery Q again this week and uh, head on over towards the end of the show. Uh, hey, Rage, where can people send us stuff if they want to? Or you could email us, vglpodcast at gmail.com. You could drop by the Discord, which you'll find a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. Or you could hit Twitter, which... Uh, is still checked, even though we don't really... Well, I don't use it that often. I know you tweet out occasionally. Not sure how I feel about uh, sharing a platform with Tucker Carlson, though, but... Eh. Uh, but VGL Podcast over there on the Blue Burb until it yeah, burst into flames. Yep. Um. Hey, Rage, why don't you uh, hit him with your socials? Oh, well, I've been Caffeine Rage. Maybe someday you'll see me tweet over at Game of CR. Or you can contact me over there uh, if you need to get a hold of me. Or you can drop by Steam Caffeine Rage over there if you wish to be my friend. And and not bad touch me. <laughs> good touch. They're good touches. Not when they're against my will. I'm, I'm going to uh, send you to record on that one. But, yeah. Uh, I have been Jared. If you want to find me and all the places, you can do so at JMA4707 on Twitter, where I mostly tweet about Battletech stuff or tweet at, like, the queer community um, or Buff Girl Twitter. I spend a lot of time <laughs> on Buff Girl Twitter as well. Um, you can uh, watch me do tabletop stuff over on twitch.tv slash runicarts uh, every, usually about every other Wednesday. Um, there's a game over there that I am running on his Twitch channel. Um, so you can come see me there. We're still playing our Vampire the Masquerade campaign. We'll finish that one eventually, and when we do, we're gonna run a D&D 5e campaign. We've already been talking about it. So, um, I, we had originally said no streaming, but if enough of them want to stream it, then, hey, we might do that. Um, also, you can find me on our Discord server. You can be friends with me on there. You can be friends with me on Steam, at JMA4707, and I guess, like, I don't know, you can send me smoke signals or something if you really want to talk to me in some other way. I'm available. So yeah. Which has me heading back up to the top of the topic list. Once again, Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics. Tweet us, Podcast, or drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice, as well as a few others, because... I found a, a panel on the uh, dashboard that we hadn't opened up in a while, and there was new buttons to press. Yay, new buttons. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. We can find out more about that over at patreon.com slash podcast. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kim McLeod. You can find his work over at incomputech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See ya. Bye-bye.